This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everybody. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being with us. Really uh, pumped up. We just came through. Frank Farenkopf is going to be with us. He's chairman of the Commission on Presidential Debates. He was on with Martha last night. I have a ton of questions on how all these debates changed around decisions, how they were made. And I know the president does not want to do the second and the third's locked in. But who knows in these days? Maria Bartiromo is standing by. Brand new book out. She talked to the president yesterday. A lot to go over. And, of course, uh, we're looking at that hurricane about to slam into Louisiana and Texas. Again, almost the same exact spot from the last one as we have 25 days until Election Day. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Tomorrow, by the way. Tomorrow. I'm here tomorrow. We're going to be talking about the tomorrow. 25th Amendment. But not to take attention away from the subject we have now. Really? Nancy Pelosi. Let's, uh, by the way, if you have some time, we're going to get rid of the president. The 25th Amendment. That's what Nancy Pelosi will maneuver today as she tries to get this president removed from office. It's a futile exercise designed to insult the president as he recovers from coronavirus. But Nancy Pelosi, it's you. That sounds insane, not him. The American people should feel insulted most of all because we have stuff that needs to get done and she is not doing it. Number two. You'll know my opinion of court packing when the election is over. Now, look, I know it's a great question, y'all, and I don't blame you for asking it. But you know, the moment I answer that question, the headline in every one of your papers will be about that. Of course, because it's big news that the first president since FDR wants to change the makeup of the Supreme Court. It's not okay to wait until after the election in case you win, to tell us what you're going to do. That is not my, it's not okay to not tell us if you're going to add states to the union and seats to the House. Even friendly outlets are expressing discontent about this policy with Harris and Biden not answering that question. And guess what? Bad news for both of them. The far left has come together with a list of demands and saying exactly what we said. This is not the moderate ticket we thought it was or they claimed to be. Number one. Now you have this debate commission. It's a joke. But uh, no, I'm not interested in doing a, a virtual. I'm not Joe Biden. I'm not going to do a virtual debate. Sit behind a computer screen. And that gives him the answers because they'll be handing him the answers. It's unbelievable. The debate over the debates. We will have a debate on Thursday. I don't think so. And what's what about number three on the 22nd of this month? Stakes could not be higher. We'll bring you the latest as Rush Limbaugh is about to stage the largest virtual rally for the president, and 45 might just be ready to rally as early as uh, tomorrow. With me right now is Maria Bartiroma, the first one to speak to the president that I know of on the air since the coronavirus and the Walter Reed stay. Uh, Maria is excited, as am I, to read her new book, The Cost, uh, the Cost, Trump, China, and the American Revival. Maria, welcome. Hi there, Brian. How are you? I know you have only a few minutes for us, but first, 
What do you? How was the president? You know him so well. When you had him on the air, how close do you think he is to 100 percent? Well, he sounded very strong. I mean, he definitely did sound uh, like he was, you know, ready for battle again. Um, he, you know, he said he was tired, but for the most part, I think he seems good. I mean, I don't know, you know, enough about COVID-19 to understand whether or not it comes back or if, you know, he could do anything to, to spark it returning. But from what I heard yesterday, when he came on the show, he was very strong and he was raring to go. So obviously this Regeneron therapeutic and this Eli Lilly therapeutic that he's talking so positively about has worked wonders for him. So it's, it, it seems very promising. Well, I, here is Frank Farenkoff on the decision to make this a virtual debate without consulting, they say, either camp. Cut five. Not only his diagnosis and what happened in Cleveland, but what's happened in the White House uh, in the last you know, week or so. So many people being, uh, uh, being, you know, having to be tested, have to be quarantined. And so the, the thought was, again, we're going to be driven. We're, we're in a coronavirus situation. And we want to make sure that everyone, not only the candidates, not only the audience, but our crew, we have 65 people who work and build these sets and so forth. And in a town hall meeting, we have private citizens who are going to be there. We want to make sure that everyone is safe. And we're going to go the hard way, not take a chance. And that's why we decided if we were going to have this, we had to do it virtually. So what are your thoughts on that? Well, Brian, I don't have a problem with the debate being virtual, but I do have a problem with the commission making a unilateral decision without consulting the candidates, and in particular, a sitting president. I mean, that's really where things went awry. The president told me when he joined me yesterday, I had just reported the news, and then I introduced him, and he said, yeah, I just found out when you found out. So nobody had the decency to actually call the president to say, look, this is what we're thinking about. This is how, you know, can you weigh in on that? I think had they done that, maybe the president would have reacted differently. I don't know. But certainly, you know, it does give a leg up, I think, to Joe Biden because you just don't know who's giving Joe Biden the answers. You know, he's behind a computer screen. So, you know, a lot of things are being done virtually, and I get that. And, you know, you know, the president's had coronavirus, and I get that. There's a lot of nervousness around that. But I think they needed to, at a minimum, call the president and say, look, this is what we're considering, rather than have the president find this out in the media. That was the big mistake. That's, I don't think that's ever been done before, making decisions on a debate without consulting the sitting president. Maybe for your Sunday show, I'll give you some sound bites if you pay the licensing fee, Maria, because we're going to talk to Frank in 20 minutes. But there'll be a Great. fee. I need that ahead of time, okay? Uh, yeah. Real quick, uh, Scaramucci thought, I guess this guy, Steve Scully, who you may know, he interned for Joe Biden, was caught. Uh, he sent a tweet out once that said, never Trump, never. But he was supposed to be the moderator on Thursday. And when the president rips Scully and his links to Biden, he writes uh, Anthony Scaramucci and says, should I respond? And Anthony Scaramucci says, ignore him. He's having a hard enough time. Some more bad stuff is about to go down. Is this unbelievable, number one, that Scully's with – I like Anthony Scaramucci too, but he is way – he's a Trump hater. What do you mean stuff about to go down? Is there a plot and a plan? 
Well, see, that's the thing. I mean, I have not been able to get over, as a journalist, I have not been able to get over what they did in 2016. And I know some people think, oh, here she goes again with the coup that failed. That's chapter two in my book, the coup that failed is what it's called, because this is really, this is an attack on our liberties and our rights. You cannot have the, the, you know, the controlling party that's in power at the FBI coming up with, you know, stories that their political enemy committed treason. But that's exactly what they did in 2016. And unfortunately, I didn't realize this, but you also have these decisions from the commission that seem quite questionable. I mean, this guy was Joe Biden's intern. You know, they they talked so much about getting journalists that were going to be neutral and that weren't going to have their finger on the scale. And then they get the moderator who was Biden's intern who said never Trump, never Trump. I mean, this is just extraordinary. You know, for anybody on either side of the aisle, you want neutral, you want independence, you want to see a fair election. And, you know, even in that first debate, we were promised that we would hear a category of election interference or the election integrity and there was no integrity in 2016 hillary clinton as we know now came up with a plan to tie trump to russia and the media took the ball and ran with it inside government took the ball and ran with it the fbi the cia and there's absolutely no coverage of this i feel like me and you and just a handful of others are the only ones who are covering this nobody like you maria the federalist kim strassel of course yeah but the, the mainstream media will not acknowledge this. And I've been really I've had a hard time getting over it because I, I just feel like it's our liberties and rights. And that there's nothing more important. I agree. The, and you, I know you got to run, but your book, The Cost, uh, tell me what I'm going to hear see in there. Well, I've got I'm looking at the last four years, this extraordinary moment in time with Trump in, in the presidency and, you know, looking at his frankly, successes in plain sight, what he did for the economy, policy there. Uh, Then I'm looking at China, looking at the incredible behavior of the Communist Party, and also looking at the media. And as I said, the coup that failed is chapter two. I talk a lot about the resistance this president faced, even as he has been able to succeed at so much and really move the, the needle forward on the economy, even on foreign policy. First president to poke against China, and look what's happening in the middle. East. That could be a whole other book where you've actually right. got Middle Eastern nations normalizing relations with Israel for and the Ma- first time in decades. And Maria, I, it's just so sad. You cannot get any positive stories off our network or in a book. It's just all negative. I've never seen anything like it. But this is a real look. The cost, Trump, China, and American Revival. I know you're going to be on for the launch in a couple of weeks, but I want everyone to get ready to buy it. Uh, Maria, thanks so much. Look forward to seeing you on Sunday show. Sunday mornings with Maria starts at 10 o'clock. Thank you so much, Brian. Go get him. Uh, when we come back, your turn. one 408 Then the chairman of the Commission on Presidential Debates. No better guest outside Maria. Uh, coming your way. Big hour. Don't move. Challenging conventional thought and wisdom. You're with Brian Kilmeade. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. 
That's shopify.com slash system. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. They'll know my opinion of court packing when the election is over. Now look, I know it's a great question, y'all, and I don't blame you for asking it. But you know, the moment I answer that question, the headline in every one of your papers will be about that. Other than, other than, focusing on what's happening now. There is so much wrong with that statement. Since when is news not worthy of a paper? And that and is it bad news? Why is it bad news when we find out what you're going to do? Why is it bad news that the American people find out what you are running on and what you're going to do after you get elected? Remember, Nancy Pelosi says we have to pass Obamacare to find out what's in it. Now we're hearing you have to get me elected to find out if I'm what I'm going to do. Can you imagine if the president of the United States says, yeah, I might redo trade deals. We'll see. I might build a wall. I might crack down on illegal immigration. I don't know. Uh, if I tell you I'm going to build a wall, that's all you'll ever write about. So I'm not going to tell you I'm going to build a wall. Uh, I'm gonna t- I'm gonna, I might have a tax plan. I might not. Would you vote for anyone that said that? Of course you wouldn't. Mike listening online in Daytona Beach, Florida. Mike. Hey, Brian. Thanks for taking my call. Your need-to-know point number three, Brian, that Nancy Pelosi talks about a commission to look into the president's health and the 25th Amendment and getting rid of them that way. Brian, from the category of the Democrats are already doing what they accuse Republicans of doing, and remember that Pelosi didn't want Biden to do any debates. My theory, Brian, is that Pelosi wants to get rid of a president, but it's not Donald Trump. It's Joe Biden. You mean set up the commission when Biden starts failing if he wins election around May? They say, listen, we're going to have to make a change. I think it I actually I heard that you're not it's not without merit. But I think this is about trying to get into Trump's head and be a distraction because she's doing it right in the middle of all the chaos. They want to make sure every day the president's distracted. And uh, I think that Nancy Pelosi looks weak. And I don't think one of her supporters or one of the Trump supporters changed their mind because of it. Can you imagine if you own a deli or a restaurant, you're hoping for a PPP loan to be able to keep going, and you find out it's not, no money's coming, and they're looking at this stupid amendment that's not going to pass? Can you imagine that? I know people listening right now are experiencing that in a dealership, restaurant, or gym. Cliff, Fox News Radio app. Hey, Cliff. Hey, good morning, Brian. Hey, Cliff. You hey. know, You know I was speaking to the— 
the uh, chairman of the Commission on Presidential Debates next. What do you what do you say about it? Well, what I'd like to say is, for one, I think they're a joke. I think they have totally um, shown themselves to be biased. You know, Chris Wallace um, was horrible. He, he's, he's a never Trumper. We all know that. You know what? He he didn't he didn't challenge Biden on on the Second Amendment. He didn't challenge Biden on the fact that he called um, Trump a racist during uh, and then over the Charlottesville thing. And then you have the, the the last moderator that they had, and she was the same way. She she sat. Well, a couple of things. We broke up uh, there a second, but I think Chris Wallace would have followed up with that. The president got in his own way by interrupting. But I will say this about Susan Page. She followed up and got information on the new Green Deal and said that she knew that Kamala Harris was going to say Joe Biden's policies is not to accept the new Green Deal. But then she said on your website, you said the framework of the new Green Deal is the framework of your energy policy. And he was she was stuck on that. The other big issue is him not saying what he's going to do from adding states to packing the court, adding additional justices until you get Supreme Court decisions that are more to your liking. For example, if I'm going to pack the court, I'm going to take the Senate, which is majority Democrat, if they do win the presidency, and I'm going to put two liberal judges on there. And now instead of having 6-3 because the American people voted and you put Supreme Court justices in place, it'll be now 6-5. And then all of a sudden there's a swing vote again. And John Roberts is back in. And then the Republicans get in and go, no, no, we're going to put two more in. And I listened to Joe Biden say, I'm not telling you because it'll be headlines. And I was upset, obviously. But I was glad that Jonathan Carl also says, tweeted this out. This doesn't make any sense, ABC. CBS News is Catherine Watson. This is such a cop out. Glenn Kessler, Washington Post. Can he really hold to this same answer for 26 days? Thank you. And lastly, my favorite, Jonathan Swan of Axios. Not sure if I've ever seen a politician explicitly say, I am not telling you what I think an important issue until after you vote for me. Thank you. Dean, listen on WRCN in Long Island. Dean. Yes, good morning, Brian. How are you? Great. What's on your mind? Uh, what's on my mind is the three re- the three reasons why they should have term limits: Pelosi, Schumer, and Maxine Waters. They should be the Twenty Fifth Amendment is not going to stick because Congress has got to approve it, Senate's got to pass it, and it's got to be a medical reason why. COVID nineteen is not a medical reason why. I hear you. Here's Mark Levin on on this chicanery. Cut twenty two. Let me tell you what she's going to do, and the media are going to run with it because they're as ignorant as anybody else. We're going to set up a commission. We're going to pass a bill in the House to set up a commission with experts to look at this president and the medicines that he's taking. But it's not the law because the Senate's not going to pass and the president's not going to sign it. She's setting up nothing. She's doing a fan dance. This is another phony Nancy Pelosi drama act three and a half weeks before the election. And Mark's a great legal mind, a great friend. He said that with Sean Hannity last night on television. Gene, listening in Massapequa. Gene. Hi. What's on your mind, Gene? Yes, with the Supreme Court that you were talking about earlier, the United States with the partisanship, it's equivalent to having two alcoholic parents in the household. I agree. And the children suffer. And the taxpayers are the children in this instance. And with this 
the way this election is heading, it, we're going to end up, we're going to need a ninth justice. So all the other years where they didn't do it in the final year of presidency go out the window. Because somebody's got to start looking out for the taxpayers. I, I mean, Gene, if they're going to defund Gene, the police, how are we going to defend ourselves? I Go hear on, you. Sir. Gene, it's unbelievable. They're going to defund the police. There's going to be a national uh, push to do that. But you know what's crazy? The American people, liberal and uh, conservative, have seen what it's like defunding the police in Minneapolis, in Chicago, Los Angeles, and New York, and they hate the idea because homicides are going up, theft is going up, burglaries are through the roof, and they're emptying the prisons at the same time. When we come back inside the debates with the man who makes the decisions, Frank Farenkopf, there's few better guests in the world. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Now you have this debate commission. It's a joke. The commission's a joke. Take a look at the letter they wrote me. Four years ago when they apologized, they were oscillating my mic. They were, tur- they were turning it up and down. So uh, we'll see what happens. But, uh, no, I'm not interested in doing a, a virtual. I'm not Joe Biden. I'm not going to do a virtual debate, sit behind a computer screen. And that gives him the answers because they'll be handing him the answers. Uh, Frank Farenkopf joins us now. He's chairman of the Commission on Presidential Debates. The president is extremely upset that without consultation, they decided to make Thursday's debate a virtual event. Uh, Frank, I, I saw you. I know you're in the eye of the storm right now. Thanks so much for joining us at the last minute. Happy to do it, Brian. Happy yeah, to do it. it's great to uh, great to hear your voice. What is your reaction to the president's reaction? Well, obviously, and I, I said this last night on Fox that uh, they, he had, they had not prepared him. His staff hadn't prepared him. There, in, a, in a virtual debate, if that were to take place, uh, there would be no way that, that Joe Biden or anybody participating could be sitting before a teleprompter or handed notes. Uh, I mean, we explained to the, to the campaign that what would happen, the president, I assume, would want to do it from the Oval Office. He would be at his desk. Biden could be in his cellar, for all that we know. But there would be representatives of the commission there. There would be media there to make sure there was no cheating by, by him using a teleprompter or anything else. So I don't think that when the president said, you know, sitting before a computer, he wasn't well briefed uh, as to how it takes place. So, Frank, OK, let's say he, let's say he's convinced that Joe Biden wouldn't have any advantage. Fine. What what would have been so hard? Why would it have been better to do it? any sports leagues would do and say, I need the principles together. This is what we're deciding. So why, why did you make a unilateral with the debate commission? This is what we're doing decision and not factor in either campaign. Fair, fair question. You must realize that the commission was created in 1987 to do what we do because it had fallen apart. The parties won't agree. The candidates won't agree. So it, what's, for the last 30 years, the commission chooses the locations sets the dates, chooses the moderators, and does the formats, predicts the formats, without any consultation. That's been, this is not anything new. This has gone on for, for decades. That's the way it's done. We were faced, as I specifically said all the, along, we would be guided by medical assistance for the safety of everyone involved, and particularly in town hall meetings. Because remember, Brian, in a town hall meeting, you not only have the candidates on the stage, but you have a bunch of citizens sitting there on, on the stage. So that's why we brought in the Cleveland Clinic to advise us throughout the four debates as to what would be safety 
for whoever was on the stage, including our crew, our cameramen, our lighting people, who were very, very upset. You know, they were on the, on the stage with the president in Cleveland. He wasn't wearing a mask. They're upset. They're concerned about their families. So we, knowing this, knowing what had happened at the White House, with the Joint Chiefs now are, are in quarantine, that if the better thing safety-wise supported by the Cleveland Clinic was that rather than getting everyone together in a closed room, let's do it vertical. That way, everyone will be safe, as safe as possible. Right. So you that mean, was, that's how yeah, the decision was made. You mean virtual. But, Frank, you know that you're yeah. the expert. You might be the premier debate experts in the country. You know how things dramatically change uh, virtual because I have to deal with it every day. We don't have any more in-studio yes. guests. Even in Fox people, I, I do everything satellite now. We have no in-studio guests. It dramatically changed the, t- uh, the tone and tenor of an interview, let alone an extemporaneous debate where you have to react to the other person. So you can imagine being upset. So, but you, it changes the whole texture of it. Wouldn't it have been better to, to factor in both sides? For example, we're all living with this pandemic. If you pass two negative tests and have those 14 days, I go back to work. So it, yes, right. Mark Meadows just wrote me, and I said, do you have any questions for Frank? And he said, not that he can't ask you, but for our yeah, audience. Sure. He says, the president will have two negative tests before the date. A virtual is not an option. So if he has two negative tests, I could go back to Fox. I can go back to working at the deli. People listening right now can go wait tables again. Why can't the president be the president? Well, the president can be the president. But how many tests has it tested negative now? We have to go and gather people. And let me tell you something, Brian. The work, the original work was done by the Gallup organization in Miami trying to get people to come and participate and get on stage was the worst it's ever been. People are afraid. They're afraid. They're afraid for their families and so forth. So we just we took the medical way to go from our medical advisors. I don't know the president's doctors. He's probably the best in the world. I'm sure he's getting the best treatment. I sure the heck hope so. But I'm not a doctor. No one on the commission is a doctor. So we have to rely on those people we brought in to advise us. And so suppose he passes one, and then the day before he doesn't pass the other. Then the whole debate's gone because it won't take place. So we wanted to make sure there was a debate. But rather than having none, we thought a virtual was the best way to go and the safest way to go. It's, it's really that simple. Well, People are going to disagree. I understand. Well, Frank, uh, you have solid thoughts. Obviously, years of experience have helped you here. But here's an example. Why not change the format and make the last one town hall and let these guys compete one-on-one and let them cha- exchange test results to make sure they're okay? And have a, we guys, are. we need a fallback plan of virtual if the president or the vice president fails a test. You, you probably you're you're kind of going where we're going. Let me tell you where we are in this process, okay? Uh, as you know, when the president said that he would not participate and would not be in the debate on the 15th, the Biden people said, okay, if he's not going to debate, they scheduled something with one of the networks. Oh, they can cancel that in a second. Uh, of course. Uh, let me finish. Uh, they, they can. And then uh, the the Trump campaign came came back and said, all right, let's let's not do the 15th. Let's go forward and do the town hall meeting on the 22nd when the last debate is scheduled in, in Louisville. Now, where it stands right now is that the, the, the campaign of, of Vice President Biden, former Vice President Biden has said they will be in Nashville on the 15th and they will do either type of campaign or, or debate. They will either do the original scheduled stand up with a moderator asking the questions, or they will do a town hall meeting. 
and if, if it's, and it's up to the Trump campaign to decide which way they want to go, and they'll go either way. Wow. So, all Frank, sudden, all, st- stop me if I'm wrong there. Over- Did you just say that they would be – they would show up in, in Nashville or on the 15th? Would they show up in Miami on the 15th still and cancel no, the no, AB? No, no, The 15th – what they've said now is they've made other plans. Uh, I can't force them to do anything, okay? And the president said he wasn't going to debate. But they said on the 22nd, where we're scheduled in Nashville – the, the Biden campaign would show up and would be willing to do either the regular scheduled stand up with a with a moderator and the two candidates or alternatively a town hall meeting, depending upon what the, the president's campaign oh, okay. wants to do and the president wants to do, subject to, of course, all the medical uh, clarifications and protocols being followed. So, Frank, so the 22nd looks like it's probably going to happen, and they'll go agree on a format. Either way, it sounds like the Biden camp will yeah. bend. Yeah. But on the 15th, think, just judging by just judging by the way sports has bent and the way everybody's schedules have changed, uh, we watch it every day. You know, we watch people walk off the court. Next thing you know, the NBA is changing everybody's schedule. Yeah, uh, yeah. And you don't have an audience if, if it's a non-town hall. Uh, this ABC thing could go away in a second. All the Biden people have to do is say, we'll show up on the 15th. If you can have the Cleveland Clinic consult with Walter Reed, leave candidates out of it and decide a protocol to see if the president is, in fact, COVID-free and everyone's fine. To me, that would have been a better way. Reach out to Walter Reed and say, you're the doctors. I'm worried about the health of the town hall participants and my other candidate. Absolutely. And it's my understanding that the doctor's lawyers or the president's doctors have been in contact with the Cleveland Clinic. All the way along here, uh, along here. But there's still that concern as to whether or not it would have happened. When, when, would, the, when, would, when would that happen? We're talking about something that will happen in less than a week if it had originally gone forward. Less than a week. So and right now, as I understand it, and again, I'm not a doctor, Brandon. Not, I'm not trying to be. At this point in time, there, there is no evidence whatsoever whether or not when the president tested negative. And as you know, as I think you said, you have to be t- tested twice in two consecutive Absolutely. days. Absolutely. So, so Frank, did you consider this? Did you consider this making an announcement saying we are on for the 15th? But if the president does not test positive, if does not get two negative tests, we're going to do it virtual. And then just say that's the fallback. Uh, If the president, because the president doesn't, will not be able to do it if he's if he's positive anyway. We we made a decision. We're going to go virtual for safety. That that was it. It wasn't to try to help anybody. I don't know how anybody gets help out of this one way or another, whether Biden gets help or Trump gets help. I think the president could handle that very well if he's if he's well. I don't think it makes any difference, but we're going to we're going to err on the side of making it safe for the people who work for us, for any audience, and particularly in a town hall meeting where you're going to have people from the community on the stage, if we can get enough people on the stage who aren't afraid of what's happening. Right. I mean, look at the history here. To be fair, look at the history. If you're an average citizen and you're looking, the White House supposedly the safest place on earth. I mean, everyone in the staff almost is down. We, we look, the, the Joint Chiefs of Staff are in quarantine. The, the, their families are concerned for them and their safety. So we decided we're going to do what's safe, what's the safest thing we can do. Right. Uh, but there's so much at stake, and you know how much different. I don't have to tell you. You could write a, 25 books on debates. You know how much different it is to do Not virtual as opposed to face-to-face where you're looking someone in the of, eye. And the I was phys- the chairman of the Republican National Committee in 1984 and 1988. I was President Reagan's chairman. And so I know also the, the troubles that go on in campaigns. 
So I'm not only looking at it from a debate side, but someone who was very, very involved in presidential races. So I know the tension. I know the pressure. And uh, in, in this case, I, I think I, I feel for the staff, really, because I don't think they knew what the president was going to say uh, when, when, when he went on Maria's show that morning. And so well, when did you tell him, Frank? When did you tell both camps? About 10 minutes, five or 10 minutes before we announced we, we particularly did it in the morning after, but Brian, we didn't want to step on the debate. If we had come out when the decision was made by the, by the commission, uh, it would have interfered with the coverage uh, of the debate the next day. So that's why we waited until the next morning after all the papers had gone to bed, and therefore we wouldn't interfere with the, the analysis of what had happened on the stage oh, but you, between the vice president. But, Frank, you did, because I was on the air, and the minute this came across, we no longer were talking about the vice presidential debate. And it was become like the third story on every network I flipped around. So by coming out at 7 in the morning, you prevented us really from doing thorough analysis, especially when the president reacted and the Biden camp reacted. That became the third or fourth story. And according to most people, it hurt probably the Trump camp more because the vice president was able to do something the president wasn't. And that's defend his uh, defend his decisions. Well, as I said, the decision was made not to announce it the night of the debate, but the next morning. You but can, do you see you how it hurt, though, Frank? Later. Do you see how well, it I hurt? Don't, I, don't, I, I don't think it. Listen, I'm a, I'm a good Republican, okay? <laughs> and I've been, my whole life has been involved with the Republican Party. And what I try to do, and this sounds trite, Brian, but when we formed the commission a long, long time ago, Paul Kirk, he's no longer the, the co-chairman, uh, we both pledged to each other that when we were doing work, having to do with the commission over the time. We would never, I would never wear an RNC hat. He would never wear a DNC hat. We'd always wear a USA hat. And I think the fact that we're here 33 years later is that we tried and done the best to do the right thing and the fair thing. And so uh, that's something that I'm committed to. It's my legacy, my gift back to my country who has who given me so much. And I, people will always misunderstand and they disagree. That's the way the nature of, of, of politics. It's the nature of our country. But there's nothing was done intentionally to hurt the president, help Biden, or vice versa. How long did they negotiate the details of this, the moderate, the, the cities? Uh, you know, how long did both well, sides negotiate yeah. this? Here's, here's what we do. About a year ahead of time, we send out to all the colleges and universities in the country as to whether or not they want to host. It's sort of like a request for a bid, okay? The requirements there, there got to be so many hotel rooms within a certain period of, uh, of closeness so for the media uh, and so forth. We have technical people then going, looking at the bids. They go out, our lighting people, our, um, our sound people go out and look. They come back. They cut, we cut the list. Then the Secret Service goes out. Secret Service has got to be satisfied that it's a campus that can be locked down. And then we make the decision where. Our perfect decision-making would involve one in the west, one in the northeast, one in the south, and one in the, in the center of the country. It doesn't always work that way because we don't get sometimes enough of the uh, bids that will do it. In fact, a couple of times, Washington University uh, in St. Louis has been the west coast uh, or the, the Western. Yeah, but Frank, I'm just wondering when you can't, what do the camps negotiate? They don't negotiate anything. We pick the dates. We pick the locations. We pick the moderators, and we pick uh, the, the, the format that's going to be used. Now, we will talk with them. If there's something, something that comes up that has to be adjusted, 
sometimes we, we always wanted to have one standing at a podium, one town hall meeting, <clears throat> and one seated at a table. So the American people will see these candidates and judge them in different environments. So nobody had any Most say in anything. So, okay, I thought there was negotiations back and forth. That's my no, bad. Then. Abs- no, no, okay. no. I know that. I, I watched it this morning. I was on the treadmill watching you guys. I mean, they're not involved. We will make you know, things if it, if it does not – the change that they want does not in- – indicate something about the integrity of what we're doing. Right. Really, the people on this commission are good people. They're good Americans. Frank, you're, you've been very kind right. with your time, and we've met before. Uh, yes, so just my been. last real question to you. Steve sure. Scully, who people say is a great guy, I've never met him, but he interned for Joe Biden. He tweeted out, never Trump, never. There's a huge picture of them arm in arm with each other. Why wouldn't that eliminate him immediately just for the perception of biasness? We, we looked at it. I'll tell you why. We went with Steve for a couple of reasons. Number one, and I think you probably know him, Steve is a man of great integrity, okay? He, he worked for Biden. He was, he, was in, he was in law school, and he became an intern. You know, law school students are looking where they get an intern. That's when he interned from. I don't know about the, this question of, of whether or not he tweeted something out. I do know, and you probably pick up on it in a minute, that he was hacked. There apparently something now that's being on television and on the radio saying that he talked to Scaramucci, who's the guy who was in the White Scaramucci. House for a while? Uh, Scaramucci, and that he's been talking to Scaramucci. He was hacked. That it didn't happen. It didn't happen. Right. I, I uh, just I have not heard that denial. So that's interesting, Frank. I cannot thank you enough for your time, and uh, and for answering every question. Uh, I hope they can work it out. I still hope we can get two more debates, Frank. Thanks so much. That's, that's our dream, and thank you, Brian. You know where I am. Okay. Don't hesitate to call me. Back at, back in a moment. It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back, everyone. So Joe Biden's ABC Town Hall is still an obstacle. I don't think it's an obstacle. You could pull that thing in a second. They put it together in a second. You could pull it out. I thought Frank was very sincere, but I just think the ramifications were bad. The vice presidential debate was great for the vice president, and and it was no longer the big news. So that's a problem. Uh, the president will never agree to a virtual. Uh, I, I, as much as I respect Frank, I just think it was the wrong move that they didn't have to make. And keep in mind, the Scaramucci thing is this. Scaramucci, evidently, they say that Scully went out to Scaramucci and said, the president just ripped me. What should I do? And he said, don't worry about anything. We have plans. He's been through enough. We, we're about to hit him with something else. I'm just paraphrasing both. And now Frank says he's been hacked. So that was your moderator for the second debate. Anyway, Gary, real quick, WNEB, Gary, Daytona. Hey, Brian, good morning, and it will be quick. Uh, about eight or nine days ago when the president was at the hospital, uh, I was watching a, a news media, and it showed all the get well was coming in from around the world. And Boris Johnson was there wishing him well, wearing a jacket that said Build Back Better. And I'm looking at the clip, and I see a bulldozer in the back, Build Back Better. Unbelievable. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. 
From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everybody. Brian Kilmeade here. Thanks so much for listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. This hour, uh, the woman of the Wednesday... Uh, but always a great guest, Susan Page of USA Today, Washington Bureau Chief. She's got a couple of new books out, one on Nancy Pelosi. Can't wait. Uh, it's always good. She did a great book on the, the Bushes, Barbara Bush. But Susan Page, I thought, did a really good job on the vice presidential debate. We want to get her take on some of the breaking news around the decision on debate two. And it's going to be great to get her perception that I have not heard yet of what it was like being with this, knowing that 50 million people watched. Amazing. Uh, Will Kane is in studio. If you're smart enough to have gotten Fox Nation, you noticed him. But before Will talks, he knows the format. We tell you the big three things you need to know. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Tomorrow, by the way, come here tomorrow. We're going to be talking about the 25th Amendment, but not to take attention away from the subject we have now. Wow, the 25th Amendment. That's what Nancy Pelosi's latest maneuver is to distract the country. It's a futile exercise designed to insult the president. But you know who should be insulted? The American people. That's us. Number two. You'll know my opinion of court packing when the election is over. Now, look, I know it's a great question, y'all, and I don't blame you for asking. But you know, the moment I answer that question, the headline in every one of your papers will be about that. Not okay. The Biden-Harris ticket refuses to confirm what we all know. They're going to pack the court. Excuse me, my bad. They will tell us after the election they'll pack the court. Even his friendly outlets show discontent. I'll explain. Also, are you tired of being ignored and insulted? You are if you're AOC. They have formed a group, a left-wing group, to demand the Biden-Harris people do what they say. We'll explain to you what's on this list. It's Socialism 101. Number one. Now you have this debate commission. It's a joke. But uh, no, I'm not interested in doing a, a virtual. I'm not Joe Biden. I'm not going to do a virtual debate, sit behind a computer screen. And that gives him the answers because they'll be handing him the answers. The debate over the debates. We'll have the debate on Thursday. Doesn't look like it. And what about a debate number three? That could happen. Stakes could not be higher. We'll bring you the latest on Rush Limbaugh's virtual debate. That's supposed to be the greatest virtual debate ever. Uh, and by the way, uh, 45 must just might be ready for a rally as early as tomorrow. And 45, of course, I'm talking about uh, president. So much going on, Will. So much. Where do you start? First off, I just talked to Frank Farenkoff just to say, what was the process of telling everyone Thursday morning about your change in debate? He said, well, I wanted the vice presidential debate to be done. I go, but you stopped the post-debate analysis in its tracks. I'm witness to it. We stopped talking about Pence and Harris. And you did it unilaterally, apparently. Didn't run it by either campaign. They said they never do. And made a decision that no one had agreed to because most of the terms and stipulations of the debate are negotiated between the two campaigns. But in this case, the commission decides to make a drastic change unilaterally, never running it by either campaign. I understand the Trump campaign's reluctance to do this. I understand not wanting to make this kind of massive change three weeks out from an election. I understand not wanting to be involved in a virtual debate. Here's what Joe Lieberman told us yesterday, the former senator from Connecticut, four. Yeah, that's very surprising. And I, and I would say it's generally unacceptable. Uh, um, in the best of all worlds, the Commission on Presidential Debates would have had a discussion with representatives of President Trump and Vice President Biden about how to 
do the next debate, uh, but uh, just to uh, and then come up with an agreement. But just to decide, I just don't think that was the right way to do it. The, the people on that commission have become somewhat very powerful and a little sort of autocratic in a way. Democrat. You know what's fascinating, Brian? Life is a balancing act. Every single thing you and I do throughout our day, we're doing a balance analysis of our risks and rewards. We all know that coronavirus is a very serious issue that we have to take into consideration in whatever we do in our daily lives. We have to ask ourselves, is it dangerous for the president to be in the same room as Joe Biden after being infected with coronavirus? On the other hand, we lose the ability to see nonverbal communication. Everybody listening right now has been doing, or many people listening right now, have been doing Zoom meetings from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. You lose so much uh, absolutely. in human communication. So much of what you and I are doing sitting in the same studio right now is nonverbal. 80%, some say, of what's going on between us has nothing to do with the words coming out of our mouths. You lose all of that in a debate over Zoom. So uh, Will Kane's going to be hosting over the weekend eight hours of this and, of course, breaking news throughout the night. Uh, well, I'm just going to tell you what Frank said, and I'll just paraphrase because we just got off the air with him. He said the camps have no say in anything, not the moderators, not the venue. And I said, really? Rudy Giuliani says they have zero say. And I go, that's why they decided unilaterally in consultation with the Cleveland Clinic. So I asked Mark Meadows, and Mark Meadows like, you know, we could still do this. Uh, why wouldn't – and then Kelly McEnany said if you just consulted with Walter Reed, they would have told you the president's had two negative tests by that time. And if he doesn't, the president was not going to do the debate anyway. Why not have a fallback plan? Because that's not the way we worked. We had to make a decision. They say they have no reason to consult anyone. And back to this balancing act, Brian, what are they making this decision based upon? That it's entirely too dangerous because the president tested positive coronavirus at a period in time which, by the way – will be, at that point, two weeks before the presidential debate. So what is driving the decision? I think everybody listening, you and I wonder, what is driving the decision? Is it truly about health, or is it because of politics? Is it because they didn't like the first debate and how it went down? Right. Is it because they have a non-biased interest? We've talked about, you and I this morning on Fox of Friends, the moderator, Steve Scully. He seems to be not a non-biased moderator. Forgive us if we are somewhat skeptical that this is being driven out of health concerns and not political concerns. Right. Um, so Steve Scully, and I'm, by the way, I texted all these guys getting back to me now. Jason Miller's just getting back to me. They all have questions that I was interviewing Frank, and they basically said, why'd you pick Steve Scully? He interned for Joe Biden, and he had this tweet out there that said, never Trump, never, right? Mm-hmm. And now we find out that he tweeted at uh, Scaramucci and said, the president just called me out. What should I do? And Scaramucci came back and said uh, with a tweet, um, let me just get this one right. Something to the extent of Here he goes. Not Ignore now. it. He is having a hard time now. Some more bad stuff about to go down. Right. So he's, Frank said he was hacked. So I, I'm, He's saying Scully was hacked. This happened minutes ago. Yeah, so let's listen. Steve is a man of great integrity, okay? He, he worked for Biden. He was, he, was in, he was in law school, and he became an intern. You know, law school students are looking where they get an intern. That's when he interned from. I don't know about the, this question of, of whether or not he tweeted something out. I do know, and you probably pick up on it in a minute, that he was hacked. There was apparently something now that's being on television and the radio saying that he talked to Scaramucci. Who's the guy who was in the White Scaramucci. House for a while? Uh, Scaramucci. And that he's been talking to Scaramucci. He was hacked. That's, it didn't happen. He was hacked. And I'm, I, it's not anywhere. And I just texted uh, Anthony, and Anthony hears us locally now. He's right on Long Island. And um, 
Hopefully he gets he gets back to me maybe in this segment because because it's an excuse made by every pro athlete who has ever tweeted out a picture that's inappropriate or famously the other Anthony out there Anthony Weiner who was hacked. It's the go to excuse for someone who is busted on Thought saying he was direct messaging, it, right? Yeah. Thought he was direct messaging, which or text messaging. I don't know. I mean, it's I, become a joke that excuse. Of course. But if he was actually hacked, you know, I, I don't know. I, I agree with you. But Frank bought it. So my thing is, why would you pick that? And that's what— Because it, it undercuts the commission's credibility right. if he doesn't buy it. They should have just waited. And, and listen, we know what it's like. We watch sports being canceled left and right. One minute, They're walking off courts rescheduling games. They have to reschedule four NFL games. What is so hard about getting two guys with a town hall or without a town hall? So he, one of the things that Frank said to me, now how hard a time we're having because people were worried because the president and his crew were infected and didn't tell anybody. We're having a hard time getting people. And my question was, so make this one one-on-one and make the last one a town hall. Just switch the formats where people will be more relaxed because the president will be three weeks without any coronavirus. I just I, – this is their decision. It was unilateral, and they don't bow from it. But I just think there's so much at stake. Will, when else are you going to talk to 80 million people? 60, 70 people. You can't, you're not going to get it. I heard you talking on Fox and Friends this morning. The president putting on a rally simply is not the equivalent of participating in a debate. You're talking about 4 million people seeing your rally versus 50, 60 million people seeing your debate. It's entirely too important for the commission to make a unilateral decision to move it to virtual Zoom debate. It's entirely too important. As you pointed out, I think it's a really fascinating point. Every week on a moment's notice, NFL games are being rescheduled. You can't push a presidential debate back one week. Unbelievable. Will Kane here used to do his radio show, All Sports, but now we're lucky enough to have him at Fox News. He's going to be on Fox and Friends weekend for eight hours this weekend from 6 till 10. So the thing about court packing blows me away. And, and my analogy is this. If President Trump is running for office and they say, are you going to build a wall? And he said, maybe. I don't know. I'm going to, after I get elected, I'll tell you. If, are you going to cut taxes? I don't know. Maybe we'll see. Are you going to cut corporate taxes? I don't know. You know when, you, when I get elected, I'll let you know. That would last nine-tenths of a second. Not only would he not get the nomination, he would not win an election. So, so this guy is telling us, not telling us he's going to add states, not telling us he's going to recommend getting rid of the filibuster, not telling us he's going to make a nine-Supreme Court justice a member for 150 years. He's not going to tell us he's going to make it 11. So this fires me up, Brian. Let me say – let me make three points. There's the absurdity, the stakes, and the instincts. The absurdity, as you pointed out, of a – Somebody running for president of the United States potentially proposing a massively radical idea but telling you, eh, I'll let you know what I think after the election, is the height is beyond absurd. Let's put the stakes into context as well. You just did in part. It's been 150 years that we've had a nine-member Supreme Court. The last time somebody attempted to pack the court was in 1937 with FDR who was pushing through a very radical – you may like it or you may dislike it, but it was certainly radical New Deal agenda. He couldn't get it past the Supreme Court, so he threatened to pack the Supreme Court. It hasn't been tried again for 80 years. That's how important this is. But then there's the instinct. You know, a lot is being made that the Trump administration might question the results of the election. What they're talking about, the Trump administration, is potentially suing to ensure that the election results are valid because of mail-in balloting. It's a perfectly reasonable position to hold to ensure the validity of the election. The truth is, one after another, 
There is one party questioning the legitimacy of the United States of America's institutions, and that is the Democratic Party. Great point. From the Supreme Court and threatening to pack it, from questioning the election results in 2016 on the massive hoax that was the Russia collusion, to Nancy Pelosi talking about the 25th Amendment today. Right. Questioning the concept of due process in every one of these police shootings. Every time you turn around, the institutions and results of the United States of America are being called into question, their legitimacy being doubted. And this is all being done over and over and over from one party, the Democratic Party. Yeah. So I'm going to I'm going to hear this for the first time with you. Uh, Eric dug this up. He said it was on Fox News dot com about a year and a half ago. And this is Joe Biden. The year is 1983. President Roosevelt clearly had the right to send to the United States Senate and the United States Congress a proposal to pack the court. It was totally within his right to do that. He violated no law. He was legalistically absolutely correct. But it was a bonehead idea. It was a terrible, terrible mistake to make. And it put in question for an entire decade the independence of the most significant body, including the Congress, in my view, the most significant body in this country, the Supreme Court of the United States of America. What changed, Will? You're supposed to get wisdom with age. That's 1983. What changed was being on the opposite end of wins and losses. Brian, did you play um, Tech Mobile or any Nintendo or PlayStation games when you were a kid? No, sadly, I didn't. I'm not a, one of those guys. Did you play board games? Um, not really. I played Monopoly. I played uh, Battleship. Very happy with Battleship. It was a little tension-filled. I played Stratego. Uh, is this helping your story? Yes, because surely in that epic battle of Stratego, you came across your friend. Maybe it was you, Brian. I'm not sure. Whose go-to move was when you're losing to flip over the board. When you're losing at Tech Mobile, hit the power button, quote-unquote, accidentally. End the game. Mess it up. That's what's going on, man. The Democrats and Joe Biden are losing on these issues. They're losing on getting an appointment to the Supreme Court, so what is your choice? Flip over the game board. Pack the court. I don't care what I said in the last game. That game's over. I won that one. This time I'm losing. So I'm going to flip the game pieces. I'm going to turn off the power. I'm going to be hypocritical to what I said last time. And you can point out the Republicans' hypocrisy from Merrick Garland to this. But that's hypocrisy on your word, not hypocrisy on a law that's been in place for 150 years. They are attempting to simply flip over the game board because they're losing, man. And I'm so glad I was able to name one board game to help your story because it would have stopped in his tracks. And the show would have been terrible. And then people would have been flipping off. When we come back, what? Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez just did to help Donald Trump. Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. The Democrats gain control of the Senate. You're looking at the chairman of the subcommittee on health. And trust me that the healthcare industry and the drug companies will understand a very new reality when that happens. Got a few more, a few more minutes with Will Kane. Will, I know this never happened to you. I think there we go. Uh, 
So that was Bernie Sanders letting everybody know that I'm going to have a big role. And if I get the majority in the Senate, I'm going to be telling Joe Biden what his health care plan looks like. You know, I don't think we're talking near enough and probably not enough people out there realize exactly how far left the Democratic Party has traveled over the past six months. But, Will, here's the problem. They're not saying that they traveled that hard. That's the problem. And there's a bigger problem. I don't think the Trump campaign is doing a good job of pointing it out. If this election is about Donald Trump and his personality, if this election is a referendum on Donald Trump, he will lose this election. If this election is about that path the Democratic Party has traveled to the left that literally spills over into the streets of America and results in riots, then no one will vote for the left. But the problem is we're not talking about that. Why do you think Nancy Pelosi today is proposing some kind of 25th Amendment commission to figure out the health and competency of the president? Why do you think she's doing that? Create chaos and think that he's not worthy of the position. And to create a conversation which is continually centered upon the president. And he loves the conversation to be centered upon himself. Because he played into it and called her crazy. So yesterday is a press conference, and Politico had the exclusive. The Working Families Party has been announced. It's a people's charter, a thousand words. It will include things like a $15 minimum wage, all right? It will have employee, uh, employing 16 million people immediately get canceling all, employing 16 million make-work projects, canceling all student debt, universal free health care, affordable housing for all, and giving the public ownership stakes in all corporations receiving bailouts, shifting money away from police departments towards communities. That's what they stand for. That is the squad and people like Roe, Gahana, and different unions. So let me get this straight. Free housing. Public ownership and companies that took bailouts defund the police. We can expand this further into critical race theory being involved in every institution from government agencies to higher education to kindergarten. A concept which encourages individualism be rejected as a vestige of white supremacy. Um, Rejection of due process and objectivity openly. Just go read the documents and watch the videos. Open rejection of these concepts. These are the things being embraced by the Democratic yes. Party. But we're not talking about it, Brian. Because because right now you're not linking Joe, Joe Biden to it. But guess what they're doing? Demanding Joe Biden pay attention. But, you know, let's talk about the president again today. Right. Let's do that. Will Kane, we're going to watch you from 6 to 10. Pete's going to talk up, but I'm going to look at you, <laughs> all right? Will Kane on Thank Fox you. and Friends weekend and uh, on Sunday as well. But Jedediah will be there as well? Yep. Okay. All right. All right. Thank Thanks, you. Will. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of the story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. You were the first Senate co-sponsor of the Green New Deal. And while Joe Biden denied the Green New Deal, Susan, thank you for pointing out the Green New Deal is on their campaign website. And as USA Today said, it's essentially the same plan as you co-sponsored with AOC when she submitted it in the Senate. We don't need a massive $2 trillion Green New Deal that would impose all new mandates on American businesses and American families. 
Susan uh, uh, Page is the Susan that Vice President Pence was referring to, and she joins us now. She's with the Washington Bureau, uh, Chief of USA Today. She's also a best-selling author of The Matriarch, Barbara Bush and the Making of an American Dynasty, uh, now available on paperback, and has a book coming out, a new book coming up in April, Madam Speaker Nancy Pelosi and the Lessons of Power. Uh, Susan's coming off doing a great job as moderator in the vice presidential debate. Thanks so much for joining us, Susan. Hey, Brian, it's great to be back with you. Are you glad it's over? I I am glad it happened, and I am relieved that it's over. <laughs> so you love being honored, but it's that, it's that weight on your shoulders where you know 50 million people are going to be watching. Hey, you know, it's it was more than that. They had the... Uh, they had the ratings come out today it was 58 million people. It's the most viewers for a vice presidential debate with the exception, you can guess this, of the one with Sarah Palin. Wow, 26% increase from 2016 uh, that with uh, Pence and Kane. And overall, Susan, what I love doing, just as a viewer perspective, not, I've never moderated a debate, I, I love the fact that you let the two follow up on each other. So... You had topics. You had to get through nine of them, a lot. And at the same time, you said, okay, what's better for the audience? What's better for the audience is to see what, what is the senator wanted to follow up with the vice president, vice versa. And what about that decision to do it knowing you might have to go over time? So I think, Brian, you make such an important point because – I was thinking before I tried to think through before the debate, what's the role of the moderator? What did, what should I be trying to achieve as the moderator? And it's different from doing an interview or from being at a news conference because I wanted to ask a good question. But as you said, what I really wanted to do was have them have an exchange of views that might be helpful to voters who are trying to make up their minds. So, for example, the other thing that you move the conversation along is there's a lot of people out there who don't follow it like us. And they just say, oh, yeah, I wonder, you know, are they going to get rid of fracking? Are they going to uh, go back to the Paris climate change? And when Kamala Harris says Joe Biden doesn't want to uh, go, uh, doesn't have, is not subscribing to the new Green Deal. You had the research that USA Today had that said it's basically that that was the foundation, the framework of their plan was the new Green Deal. And, of course, that was a question I think that uh, Senator Harris didn't want to get because she was a sponsor of the – she has been a sponsor of the Green New Deal. Joe Biden in the debate a week earlier said he didn't support the Green New Deal. But you go on their website and it calls it a crucial framework. So that's one of those questions on which the Democratic ticket has been all over the map. Uh, And, you know, we see them getting – and I'm sure they've tried to hedge their bets a bit on that – because it's an issue that divides the voters they want to appeal to. Somebody who's working in the coal industry in Pennsylvania, a crucial state, has a very different view of that than progressives who are very committed to the Green New Deal. What was it like before? Did you have a chance to meet with each? No, I didn't meet with either one of them uh, beforehand. And in fact, they announced the moderators uh, a month ago. It was a total surprise to me uh, that they asked me to moderate uh, this debate, although I was really pleased. And since then, I basically tried not to speak to people who were partisans on either side. I got off Twitter, which was uh, an odd experience, um, since I really rely on Twitter to keep up to date. But Twitter was just too hot uh, for me, and I wanted to have kind of a clear head. And it really went into a – for a month, I tried to think through – what to do, how to behave, what, how to moderate, and just get ready for the big debate. Who do you think did better? 
You know, um, I would like to ask you, you, you are in a, I was in the, in, <laughs> on the stage, intensely focused. You tell me, who do you think did better? Well, I thought the vice president, as expected, was very cool. And I think he was very, he was quicker to react to the news on hand. Listen and respond. Do you know when we do interviews, you could be prepared, but if the person brings you in a different direction, do you know what he or she is talking about? I felt like he was ready on foreign policy, ready on domestic policy, and ready on coronavirus, even though you did not release the topics ahead of time. And I don't think either looked nervous. And I think Harris did fine. I believe the vice president did better. And I thought there was so much pressure on his shoulders after the president's debate performance the week before. And I think he stood up to the challenge. That's my impression. You know, I, th- I think they both look pretty confident. Um, the, the vice president has a lot of experience being uh, in the spotlight over the last four years. Uh, Senator Harris has less, but I thought she she did, she didn't seem very nervous to me. She seemed like she knew what she she wanted to do. The big surprise to me, Brian, I have to say, I finished the debate. I waited till the candidates were leaving the stage. I stood up and got my binder. I walked to the back, and everyone was talking about the fly, and I had not seen the fly. So they're like all buzzing about the fine. I'm saying, what fly? And you had no idea. Would if you had seen it, would you have told him? I know I, I, I can't imagine. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's better I didn't see it because what would I say? Hey, Mr. Vice President, there's a fly on your head. Yeah, I, I don't I, know how that conversation would play. I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure if you could look back at history and say that reminds you of anything. Here's the other. Here's the other big story. Uh, that took place that they debated back and forth and we're still talking about today. I'm so glad we went through a little history lesson. Let's do that a little more. In 1864... Oh, I'd like you to answer the question. Mr. Vice President, I'm speaking. I'm speaking. Okay. The American people are voting right now, and it should be their decision. Senator Harris... People, Susan, are voting right now. They'd like to know if you and Joe Biden are going to... Pack the Supreme Court. Let's talk about packing. You once Come again on. gave a non-answer. Joe Biden gave a non-answer. <laughs> trying to answer you the now. American people deserve a straight <laughs> answer. And, and if you haven't figured it out yet, the straight answer is they are going to pack the Supreme Court. So what are you thinking at that moment? Because the, she isn't answering yes or no, and you know she's not. You've interviewed millions of people before you know and they want to avoid it. What were you thinking in your head? Were you thinking about turning around and going, Senator, are you going to answer the question? So, Brian, if I'd been in an interview, I would have done that. But this is different. And this was a case where this was between the two. To the degree possible, I wanted it to be a conversation between the two candidates without me as an interlocutor. But, you know, the other thing I thought while she was saying that, that is not a sustainable position uh, for the Biden-Harris ticket to take from now to Election Day. That's a big question. Obviously, they don't want to answer. They both declined to answer it recently, although Joe Biden did answer it months and months ago when he said he was against the idea of expanding the Supreme Court. I think they're going to be forced to address this question before Election Day. And I think I think they should. It's a big question. Why should they say uh, why should they refuse to answer a question that's of importance, uh, would be of importance in a new administration if they won? Susan, there's a lot of people on other networks that were saying that uh, Mike Pence's interruptions were were almost, to use a better term, sexist. He was being rude to women, like, I'm a man and I'm going to say what I want to say. Did you take his interruptions 
and the back and forth? Did you take it personal? Was he acting poorly towards women when he did that? Did you take that of offense? Well, Brian, I will say that I have been in meetings where people have talked over me in a way that's uh, that's, uh, ticked me off. But having watched the vice president in the debate four years ago uh, in 2016, he did the same thing. Of course, also a woman uh, moderator. I thought he was I thought he would have done that if I was a male moderator, too. I didn't think he was doing it because I was a female moderator. So, no, I didn't take I didn't take offense to it uh, on the idea that it was somehow sexist. I did think it was a violation of the rules that the campaign had agreed to before the debate. And that's why I kept interrupting him, making an effort to interrupt him, not always successfully, by saying, thank you, Mr. President, Mr. Vice President, your time is up. Uh, He ignored me through a lot of that. But I thought that was a political tactic and not a gender statement. When you looked at the presidential debate, what did you take away from that? What did you say, okay, now that I saw that, I'm going to do this? I I tried to think uh, a lot about that, and I talked to Chris Wallace, and he gave me great advice, uh, for which I am generous advice, for which I'm very grateful. It made me think more about how do you control a debate so it's civil? Uh, You know, people – we have big differences in this country. People feel very strongly on both sides. That doesn't mean we can't have a respectful discussion about it. And one thing I did was talk at the beginning more than I had – plan to about the rules of the debate and about the expectations that we would have a civil and respectful conversation. And by and large, you know, it was interesting. I saw an Axios uh, survey monkey poll out this morning on uh, of debate watchers and what word they thought described the debate. And the biggest word in their word salad was civil. And the second biggest word was informative. And I was really glad to see that because if there were two goals I had, uh, for the debate, it was that it would be civil and it be informative. Now, as you as a reporter, I have to ask you this. The next debate was supposed to be on Thursday. And it looks like the commission decided unilaterally to not make it to make it virtual. And then the campaign, uh, the Trump campaign said, I'm not uh, the Trump presidency. Said, I'm not doing the campaign says I'm not doing a virtual. What about that decision to not consult anyone to do it? Is that typical the way the election, co- the debate committee works? It, uh, so you might want to talk to somebody more closely involved, but I, my understanding is, no, usually they have meetings and collaboration and trying to work things out. But this is, in their defense, um, not that they need me to defend them, uh, we're coming up on this debate in a week, lots of questions about the safety of having the president there, given his diagnosis of, of COVID-19. Um, so perhaps perhaps they felt it was just a case where they needed to do this unilaterally. But I think that is not the way they traditionally or prefer uh, to proceed. And, and I don't know that that debate's going to take place. What's your betting on whether that debate takes place next Thursday? I, I think it's no. And and just yeah. we just had, I got on the phone with Frank Frackenhoff, Farkenhoff um, uh, about 45 minutes ago, and he basically doesn't think it's going to happen. But a couple of things. Steve Scully evidently is, uh, was tweeting back and forth with Anthony Scaramucci, at which time he said, should I answer the president back? Because the president last night ripped him as a former intern to Joe Biden, who tweeted out at one point, never Trump, never. And there's pictures of him with Joe Biden arm in arm. And I asked, uh, uh, I asked Frank about it, and Frank says he was hacked. Um, so I just want to get your – in fact, here it is. Huh. Steve is a man of great integrity. Okay, he he worked for Biden. He was he was in he was in law school, and he became an intern. You know, law school students are looking where they get an intern. That's when he interned from. I don't know about the 
this question of, of whether or not he tweeted something out. I do know, and you probably pick up on it in a minute, that he was hacked. There apparently something now that's being on television on the radio saying that he talked to Scaramucci, who's the guy who was in the White Scaramucci. House for a while? Uh, Scaramucci, and that he's been talking to Scaramucci. He was hacked. That's, it didn't happen. So, so just so you know, for our audience, what happened is uh, Steve Scully, who was supposed to moderate the town hall debate, and people now, the Trump last night says, I found this guy was Joe Biden's intern. Really? I thought we were going to have a, a, a balanced debate. And he was not happy with Chris Wallace, obviously. So he thought, it looks like he was direct tweeting Anthony Scaramucci. And he said, what should I do? Scaramucci said, ignore it. He is having a hard enough time. Some bad stuff is about to go down. So yeah. your serve. Well, that he, now you're up to date. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Man, that's uh, that's really uh, interesting, and I didn't know a lot of that. You know, I don't know um, about the the tweet and the hacking. Uh, I'm just not up to speed on that. But I've known Steve Scully a long time. Uh, you know, he's been at C-SPAN. Hard to find a more neutral forum than C-SPAN. C-SPAN has always been very respectful of all political points of view, as you know. As have my experience with Steve Scully is he's a straight down the line. Um, nonpartisan uh, guy. Um, so I hope it, I hope that debate takes place. I think the town hall debates are the best debates. I like the town hall debates the best because it's so much harder for a candidate to dismiss a citizen, a voter, than it is to dismiss a journalist or a moderator. Um, but, if, but of course, we do have an expectation of fairness, and we want, you know, that's one of the things that I think the commission tries very hard to do. And that is, by the way, one of the reasons I went off Twitter and stopped talking to anybody outside my household for the month before the debate. Right. So lastly, Susan, what are the, what are the camps, can you share with our audience what the camp said to you after or any representative from either camp said after? Um, so n- neither campaign has reached out to me to say anything at all. And for that, uh, for that, I'm, I'm grateful. I did, when I left the debate stage, the vice president was Still backstage, um, and so I brief, had a brief exchange of words with him. His had his family there, his kids and his kids' spouses, um, and he introduced me to them. Um, uh, but but I've had no um, I've had no feedback from the campaign. Yeah. Uh, however, I've had had a lot of feedback from people on Twitter, so I do feel like I've gotten some feedback. <laughs> good. Is it good? It's some of it's good. A lot of it's negative. Uh, you know, people have strong points of view. I, I respect that. Yeah, Google my name. You won't feel better about yourself if you're me. Uh, so I think you did a great job. I really did because I learned stuff, and like you said, it's, it was informative, and I think both say, would say it's fair. Uh, Susan Page, you had an extremely tough job, and you did great in my humble opinion. Uh, and I look forward to your book, Madam Speaker, Nancy Pelosi and the Lessons of Power, and the Matriarch, Barbara Bush and the Making of an American Dynasty, now out on paperback. Thanks so much, Susan. Hey, thanks, Brian. Back in a moment. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first, only on The Brian Kilmeade Show. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From his mouth to to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Yeah, keep in mind, we're just trying to track Chris Christie with this coronavirus. He has been in the hospital for the sixth day now with COVID-19. He checked himself in. He said out of precaution, but six days in the hospital, I'm worried. And he's a great guest of ours. I love him. Um, Meanwhile, uh, there is some fear in New Jersey of a second wave. They're anticipating a second wave as cases spike to a four-month high. 
Uh, so we're kind of worried about what's going on in New York City and a couple of city, a couple of uh, Queens and Brooklyn areas. We know it's been low overall, but for the most part, there's been a bit of a rise here in the New York metropolitan area. The first one to really be the epicenter of the virus. Matt is listening on WGTR. Hey, Matt. Hello, Brian. Thanks for taking my call. No problem. Some of your listeners need to hear this. Joe Biden ran for president 33 years ago. He dropped out because he was caught cheating. Was forced to drop out of the 1987 presidential race after it was proven he copied word for word a speech by a British politician. Source, New York Times, excuse me, 9-12-1987. Second time, Joe Biden ran for president again 13 years ago. He dropped out a second time for being racist. In 2007, he had to drop out of the second race after he said you cannot go to a 7-Eleven or a Dunkin' Donuts unless you have a slight yeah, that's Indian that, accent. You know, he said some ridiculous things, and I've played them. He didn't drop out because he's racist. He made a comment, believe it or not, about President Obama. He says he's a clean, articulate guy. He's a dream. So, And people thought that was ham-handed, and he had no momentum anyway. He blew up in one day. So that's why... Barack Obama never thought he should be president. Barack Obama tried to keep him out. They used to make fun of him because he never shut up in meetings. They never took him serious. But he was their only alternative because Bernie Sanders was about to get the nomination. Kamala Harris blew up. Mayor Pete was in over his head. They had nobody. Elizabeth Warren, too unlikable. They had to turn to Biden. Now they'll run over him if he gets the job. Believe me. It's Brian Kilmeade Show. Go to briankilmeade.com. Order any of my, my books. Sam Houston, Alamo Avengers. Now out on paperback. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Sorry about the echo there because I have so many monitors up. We're trying to follow the breaking news, and there's a lot of it. And a lot of it happened here. We talked to a couple hours ago. uh, We talked to the uh, chairman of the debate commission about what went into the decision to not have uh, this debate in person. And we have some of that sound. Basically, he said, because people were concerned about the President Trump's condition being in the same room, which I find unbelievable, because people are going to be around him. He's going to have two negative tests. There's probably somebody sitting right next to you that had it and beat it. That's called having the antibodies. They provide the plasma a little bit later. If we get it, uh, we have to sequester for two weeks. And then guess what? We come back to work. Uh, Michael Loftus, uh, deep thinker, comedian, maybe one of the best in the country. He'll be with us shortly. And he did this horrible thing. He admitted to people he's voting for Trump. And Christopher Ruffo, uh, Ruffo, he's the director of Discovery Institute Center on Wealth and Poverty. He wrote a column I want to share with you. It's called The Truth About Critical Race Theory. When this came up in the debate, many people didn't know what was going on. What's happening is you have to take this racial awareness test, and you would think on the surface it sounds benign. But if you look at it, it basically wants white people to admit that they're racists. And that's the president stopped in his tracks. So I want to find out what exactly it is and what the approach is. And Chris is a, an expert, wrote a great column. I'll share that with you. And then we're going to take some calls, one 408 Let's get to it. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Tomorrow, by the way, come here tomorrow. 
we're going to be talking about the 25th Amendment, but not to take attention away from the subject we have now. That is the most ridiculous statement Nancy Pelosi has made, and she's made a lot of them, the 25th Amendment. Uh, That's what Nancy Pelosi is maneuvering to today, to look into see if the president's worthy of being president. Unbelievable. What a colossal waste of time will amount to nothing when she should be working on a stimulus package with uh, with 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 uh, Treasury Secretary Mnuchin. Uh, This is you know who should be insulted. You should be insulted. Number two. You'll know my opinion of court packing when the election is over. Now, look, I know it's a great question. Y'all and I don't blame you for asking. But, you know, the moment I answer that question, the headline in every one of your papers will be about that. Right, because it would be big news that you're going to change the balance of power in the government. It's not okay, and it's not an acceptable answer. And you got 26 days to answer it. Can you just put us out of our misery and admit you're going to do it? The Biden-Harris ticket refuses to confirm or deny that they're going to pack the court. Excuse me, my bad. They tell us telling us soon after the election. That is not okay. Even as friendly outlets show discontent with that. Also, tired of being ignored and insulted, the far left has banded together and issued a looks like a agenda that Joe Biden better follow or else. Hey, America, you think you're electing a moderate. You are electing the squad. Number one. Now you have this debate commission. It's a joke. But uh, no, I'm not interested in doing a a virtual. I'm not Joe Biden. I'm not going to do a virtual debate. Sit behind a computer screen. And that gives him the answers because... They'll be handing them the answers. The debate over the debates. We'll have a debate on Thursday or not. Probably not. We will have a debate number three. It looks like that. Stakes could not be higher. We'll bring you the latest as Rush Limbaugh is about to stage the largest virtual rally for the president ever. As as the 45th president tells Sean Hannity last night on television, guess what? I feel great and I might even have a rally this weekend. Although Kaylee McEnany a short time after said that's not very likely. So there's another sub story. The moderator for the debate was this guy named Steve Scully. By all accounts, he's a great guy. And by all accounts, he interned first job in Washington for Joe Biden. And there's a huge picture of him and Joe Biden arm in arm. And then there's this tweet out there that said, no, no Trump, never, never means never. All right. He was still selected to do the debates. At the same time, we find out that last night, After the president ripped him on Sean Hannity's show, he wrote what he thought was a direct tweet to Anthony Scaramucci. And it says, at Scaramucci, should I respond? And Anthony Scaramucci wrote back, as I just paged down on the story, give me one second because I want to get it exact. And I over it down. He wrote this, ignore. He's having a hard enough time. Some bad stuff about to go down. Hmm. I don't know what that bad stuff is, but the plotting and planning bothers me. The plotting and planning that has these tax stories emerging in the New York Times, the plotting and planning that has the Atlantic story emerge after uh, two years. And to try to weaken him at the places he's strong, uh, strongest. A civil unrest has taken place all across the country. They try to make it seem like Donald Trump's America is burning down, but you know it's burning up? It's burning up the people that are doing it. And it's pretty clear that president's agenda would not allow this to happen. But mayors and governors have control of their own state. Last night, there was another city in Wisconsin burning down, being the and suburbs too. And it was being done by people who were upset about, guess what? Another verdict about a cop shooting a assailant. And that cop 
happens to be African-American as the, as the assailant. After a few months, they said he did nothing wrong. So let's go wreck somebody's house. People are tired of that. They're not buying it. And they don't blame Trump for that. You like to say it's Trump's America, but it's not Trump's America. It's like the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff being responsible for what somebody does um, in the Caribbean when their ship goes into port that's unsavory. Yeah, he's in charge of the Navy, but he's not in charge of every sailor. So what happened is this guy, Scully, came out and told Frank Farenkopf, who runs the debate commission, I was hacked. Listen. Steve is a man of great integrity, okay? He, he worked for Biden. He was, he, was in, he was in law school, and he became an intern. You know, law school students are looking where they get an intern. That's when he interned from. I don't know about the, this question of, of whether or not he tweeted something out. I do know, and you probably pick up on it in a minute, that he was hacked. There apparently something now that's being on television and on the radio saying that he talked to Scaramucci, who's the guy who was in the White Scaramucci. House for a while, uh, Scaramucci, and that he's been talking to Scaramucci. He was hacked. That it didn't happen. Well, Anthony's Anthony's response was real, and Scully says he's deleted since deleted his Twitter account. Now, Pete, you were saying that when you delete your Twitter account, right? You can't just delete it and say I was hacked. Does Twitter well, no, have Mike, record what of that? What we were talking about during the break was now if Scully claims that he was hacked and he and he deleted his uh, Twitter account, shouldn't that be a record from Twitter saying, yes, we got uh, an email or we were contacted by Scully saying he, he never sent this out if he was hacked? Yeah. I mean, I would. If I was hacked and it, and it was detrimental to my personality, my, my career, my, my, uh, my personal life, are you kidding? Of course. You would, jump, you would jump on that right away and then have a correspondence with Twitter who would say that we're looking into it. So let's see what happens. Uh, it looked like he thought he was direct messaging. And it just shows a lack of objectivity to a moderator who's already on the record not being objective. But I hear this guy's a great guy. Maybe he would have done a great job. I don't know. But it just plays into the fact that Trump has been forced to a virtual debate, and they said it's because they're afraid of being contagious. And if we have some time, Eric, I know you're doing 25 things, but that part when I asked Frank why you moved it, and he did say the same thing, we'd probably play that back uh, if we could. So I just think the second debate means much more to President Trump because he's got to get momentum back after his first debate, and his vice president did great defining what exactly they've done. What I find abhorrent is that the media is letting Joe Biden get away with not answering the question, are you going to pack the court? It's going to change fundamentally the country. Keep in mind how big this is. Even with all the power FDR had, he'd have four terms, the only four-term president, the only three-term president. And with all the power that he had and popularity, the popularity that he possessed, he couldn't get the New Deal passed. So he said, I'm just going to put more court justices on there. Now, the threat had the New Deal get passed, helped the New Deal get passed. But the thought was objected by both sides. And guess who else was against packing the court? Back in 1983, yeah, he was in the Senate. His name is, hmm, it's right here, Joe Biden. He sounds different. He sounds very coherent. Cut 16. President Roosevelt clearly had the right to send to the United States Senate and the United States Congress a proposal to pack the court. It was totally within his right to do that. He violated no law. He was legalistically absolutely correct, but it was a bonehead idea. It was a terrible, terrible mistake to make, and it put in question for an entire decade 
the independence of the most significant body, including the Congress in my view, the most significant body in this country, the Supreme Court of the United States of America. You know what? After hearing Joe Biden, I believe we should not pack the court. I believe he puts a very strong case together. And the term boneheaded idea, great idea, great thing. I, I, thought, I, I thought he was, should I call him shoe leather? Because that was his nickname growing up. But I would think the boneheaded idea would be for Joe Biden to think he can go 26 more days without answering that question. But that's the idea that he wants us to have. Meanwhile, yesterday, he's starting to lose control of his posse because yesterday his squad formed together another group, working families group, and they have demands of Joe Biden. Exactly what President Trump has said they will do if they get this job. They are demanding they do if they get this job. So you'll hear that in a second. But I don't want to take too much time away from Michael Loftus. So uh, I'm going to play that other bite from Frank, who runs the debate commission on the reason why they won virtual or pitched it in just a moment. A lot going on. So glad you're here. Don't move. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. The talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. That's why we brought in the Cleveland Clinic to advise us throughout the four debates as to what would be safety for whoever was on the stage, including our crew, our cameramen, our lighting people, who were very, very upset. You know, they were on the, on the stage with the president in Cleveland. He wasn't wearing a mask. They're upset. They're concerned about their families. So we, knowing this, knowing what had happened at the White House, with the Joint Chiefs now or, uh, in quarantine, that if the better thing safety-wise supported by the Cleveland Clinic was that rather than getting everyone together in a closed room, let's do it vertical. That way, everyone will be safe, as safe as possible. Right. So you that mean, was, that's how yeah. the decision was made. You mean virtual. So that, Frank Farenkoff, that is the man who made the decision and what went into it. They felt as though the safety of others was in, was in jeopardy. Wow. Um, and they're running some of that clip right now on television. So we're keeping you up to date. Welcome back to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Michael Loftus is here. So, Michael. We thought we were going to talk the other day. Michael Loftus is one of the, the world's outstanding comedians, also founder of the Loftus Party. You can follow him at the Loftus Party. Michael, we thought we were going to discuss the VP debate, and I want to get your take on it. But by 730, the other big story was they said the president is, is essentially too dangerous to bring to Miami to debate Joe Biden. Who, by the way, the rest of us, after two weeks, two negative tests, we're allowed to go back to school, back to work, uh, back to your case, the bar. <laughs> this is true. This is true. I've had two. I've had several negative tests. I'm going to be doing stand up tonight and tomorrow night in Cincinnati at the Liberty Township Funny Bone. Yes. See how I did that. And, you know, I love I love that you're a plug machine. I love the fact that you go in front of an audience, but you also take it a risk that everyone there tested negative. Are you surprised that they would make this decision without telling the president of the United States or the one that wants to be? It's horrible. It's horrible. And just when you think that the, the, the left and the, the liberal media can't do anything else, like how bad can they demonize this guy? They're literally treating him, though, as if he's radioactive, as if he's like typhoid Mary. Like, like what is he going to do? Is he, is he going to kiss everybody as they enter the, the, the debate hall? It's ridiculous. 
It's ridiculous. You put the podiums uh, 10 feet apart. The cameramen aren't right there. They have cameras for this. They can stand back. It's all very safe. They just have to demonize the president, and they have to try to terrify everybody of COVID-19. So, uh, Michael, the other thing is, did you have a chance to see the vice presidential debate? Oh, absolutely. I was glued. I was glued to my man, Race Bannon. He always – every time Mike Pence is on TV, I always think of Johnny Quest and Race Bannon. (laughs) He should actually dress like Race Bannon. It would be cool. I don't even know who that is. Who's Race Bannon? You don't know – you never watched Johnny Quest? No, I have friends. Did you? <laughs> I was. I play sports. I mean, I, there's stuff for me right. to do. Are you alone all the time? I am. I grew up in a small room. I had imaginary friends in a TV set. Your your listeners know. Your listeners are slapping the dashboard right now, going that Michael Loft, this guy's hilarious. Right. Well, they think like that anyway. Bannon. So, Mike, I'm going to give it the, was a good debate. I, I want you to hear if you hear sexism in the way Mike Pence was talking to his counterpart and Susan Page. I'm so glad we went through a little history lesson. Let's do that a little more. In 1864. Well, I'd like you to answer the question. Now, Mr. Yes, Vice she, President, I'm please. speaking. I'm speaking. Okay. Was he being rude because she's a woman? No, not. Not at all. Not at all. And this is this is the this is the great conundrum of, of identity politics. Uh, women are supposed to be completely equal to men, yet they're supposed to get preferential treatment. You cannot win. That was a there's no way to win that scenario. She can be a smarmy and she can do her little laugh and her little head shake and be kind of like a school. Mar- I'm speaking. I'm speaking now. I'm speaking, which is so condescending and nasty but if he comes back and, and calls her on it oh he's mansplaining he's being mean he what is he supposed to give her preferential treatment because she she's a woman is she weaker than us or not ladies you got to decide you're either equal or you're not he mopped the floor with her with facts and it was it was just fantastic to watch uh, and uh and that's why that little fly landed on his head that little fly was saying good job mike you're doing great and you look like race bannon from speed Ra- from uh, johnny quest <laughs> so, so the thing is, by the way, just to give you some information to help you with your stand-up act, Susan Page, the moderator, said she had no, didn't see the fly, had no idea the fly was there. Right. Yeah, because, well, uh, he, he, that fly was there for a while. And uh, I, I, I love it when, when weird stuff like that happens in debates because that's, that's live TV and it's awesome. But, like, the other thing that she didn't see, uh, Susan – she didn't see uh, the fly on Pence, and she didn't see the Charlottesville lie. I'm, I'm so sick and tired of, like, Biden brings it up constantly, and now you've got Kamala Lala Ding Dong Harris bringing it up. Like you said, there was good people on both sides. That quote taken out of context, he went out of his way to uh, denounce uh, racism and, and Nazis. And it's like Trump and Pence – like, I, I wanted Pence to, like, jump up. I wanted him to stand up and go one more time with that lie. <laughs> you one can't do that. You can't say that. You, uh, you cannot do that. That's why, I can't be, that's why I can't be president. I would have jumped up. My chair would have been knocked over. I've been like, I would have been like, say it again. Say it again. <laughs> <laughs> it would have, you're talking about like Jim Everett and Jim Rome. When, yes, when he knocked yes, him over I because thought, he called him Chrissy, that is not true. absolutely. The, I would I would have gone I would have gone for the Jim Rome moment. <laughs> so so let me ask you something. The president of the United States got coronavirus. Would you, if you're the president, knowing him, would you go do a rally tomorrow night? And would you go if you know that he had two negative tests? 
um, uh, I would go. And, and I'm glad that the president's doing. Listen, he's being a champion. That guy's putting his money where his mouth is. He's like, America, you got to be brave. You can't let this thing dominate your life. And listen, if, if his doctors give him the A-OK and he's healthy enough, uh, he should absolutely do it to show America. Right. I mean, actions speak louder than words. Hey, I'm up here doing it. Life goes on. Hey, Michael, strong. Man we've up. got up against a break. When, when do we see you this weekend? Uh, we, you see me on Friday and Saturday at the Cincinnati Funny Bone. And then October 21st, I'm taping my Fox Nation stand-up special at Zaney's in Nashville. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. Radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Your administration uh, directed federal agencies to end racial sensitivity training that addresses white privilege or critical race theory. Why did you decide to do that, to end racial sensitivity training. I ended it because it's racist. I ended it because a lot of people were complaining that they were asked to do things that were absolutely insane, that it was a radical uh, revolution that was taking place in our military, uh, in our schools, all over the place. And he's 100% right. But for many people, that was the first time they had heard about critical race theory, where, for the most part, you have to apologize for being white, heterosexual, and male. Those three strikes are for you. You have to apologize and be aware of it. Uh, With me right now is a man who wrote a a great column on this, Christopher Ruffo. He writes for the Wall Street Journal, and he wrote the truth about critical race theory, uh, I think the next day right after this. Chris, welcome. It's great to be with you. A lot of people look at this and say, what's wrong with being more racially aware of different cultures and and different uh, genders? What, you know, on the surface, it's benign. But what's the reality? Yeah, I mean, I think everyone, including me, would be supportive of different uh, finding out about different cultures and being tolerant of people from different backgrounds. But uh, what was actually happening, and I showed this with original source documents through my investigative reporting, uh, is that it was essentially a kind of ideological and and political indoctrination uh, where they were segregating employees at federal agencies on the basis of race. uh, And they were having white male executives in one instance. Um, you know, essentially denounce themselves, deconstruct their white male identity, uh, and even write letters of apology um, based on nothing more than their inborn characteristics. So it's completely disingenuous and frankly ignorant uh, to describe this as racial sensitivity training. Uh, it's nothing of the sort. So the employers are told uh, are told this uh, to essentially uh, white share an inborn oppressive streak, whiteness. Consequently, whites struggle to own their racism. And the instructor says there will be listening sessions in which black employees can speak about their experiences and be seen in their pain, while white employers are instructed to sit in discomfort and not fill the silence with your own thoughts and feelings. The group you're uh, allying with and then the members of the group you're allying with are obligated to uh, thank you and feel, and feel sorry for you or forgive you. That's what's going on? Yeah, that's exactly what's going on. And I think that it's been a a really bizarre thing. I've laid out the reporting uh, in the New York Post, in the Wall Street Journal, uh, in City Journal and elsewhere. Uh, I've released all of the original source documents, and yet the media is intent on uh, ignoring all the actual evidence, all of the documented facts, and running with this line that it's just racial sensitivity training, and if you oppose it, you're racist. 
Uh, and I find it uh, just extraordinary. It's an abuse of logic. It's an abuse of language. Uh, and it's a real disservice to the public because, you know, the public is paying for this stuff and the public has a right to know exactly what's happening. I would think so. So Joe Biden was asked the same question. This is what he said. Cut 26. The fact is that there is racial insensitivity. People have to be made aware of what other people feel like, what insults them, what is demeaning to them. It's important that people know they don't want to. Many people don't want to hurt other people's feelings, but it's, it makes a big difference. It makes a gigantic difference in the way a child is able to grow up and have a, self, a sense of self-esteem. It's a little bit like how this guy and, and his friends look down on so many people. They look down their nose on people like Irish Catholics like me and grew up in Scranton. They look down on people who don't have money. They look down on people who are of a different faith. They look down on people who are a different color. I mean, there's so much wrong with that statement, but maybe if you could enlighten him, pretend like he's here. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I think, you know, the first part, frankly, is actually right. I mean, we want to have people from all different backgrounds be treated with respect, be treated with equality. Uh, certainly in my own life and work, I've met people from all over the world. My own family is, is biracial. Uh, but it, again, it has nothing to do with the actual facts. And I wish the president had uh, been armed with some more information to say, hey, at these agencies, these things were happening. And, and the real truth of what's happening, if you look at the ideology that's driving these training sessions, uh, it relies on a few concepts, uh, such as race essentialism, telling people that they can be reduced to the color of their skin and be judged according to the color of their skin. Uh, it also revives racial segregation. Uh, in many public agencies, I've documented from Seattle all the way to the federal government, uh, federal agencies and local governments are now separating employees by race and holding separate training sessions, uh, reviving this kind of ugly specter of Jim Crow. Uh, and then third, a lot of it boils down to race-based harassment. They're saying uh, you have these characteristics, your white privilege, your male privilege, your heterosexual privilege, your Christian privilege, and we are going to essentially denounce you in front of your colleagues for having those qualities. Uh, so it, it, it is like this kind of Orwellian thing where uh, they're saying one thing that sounds nice in the abstract, but once you get down to the specifics, uh, it's abusive, it's toxic, and it has no place in government. And you bring up some other things that I just find amazing. At the Department of Homeland Security, you write, diversity trainers held a session on microaggressions based on the work of psychologist Daryl Sue. Uh, in the academic work, Mr. Sue argues that white America have been fed a racial curriculum based on falsehoods, unwarranted fears, and the beliefs in their own superiority, and thus have been socialized into oppressing roles. Trainers taught Homeland Security employees that the myth of meritocracy, really? The myth of meritocracy and colorblindness is a foundation of racist microaggression and micro-inequities. The trainers insist that statements such as America is the land of opportunity, everybody can succeed in the society, and if they work hard enough, and I, and I believe the most qualified person should get the job, are racist and harmful. Really? <laughs> I mean, this is unbelievable. It's unbelievable. And, you know, because at the very top it says Dr. Daryl Sue, Ph.D., uh, Columbia University, people buy into it. But, I mean, it really shows that they're attacking the very foundations uh, of the country. And, you know, America is a place where people from all over the world have immigrated yeah. uh, to achieve their dreams, to find freedom and opportunity. Uh, and obviously we've had problems. It's not a perfect place. Nobody's arguing that. Uh, but they're trying to chip away at those values. And they're saying that uh, you can no longer judge people as an individual uh, based on merit, uh, based on accomplishment, based on character. 
you must judge people only by their group identity. Uh, and this is very dangerous because historically, uh, when you have regimes that have arisen in the last hundred years uh, that take this kind of group identity first uh, politics and policy, uh, it ends in very ugly ways. Uh, and I think it's time for us to really reckon with this and really say, mount a spirited defense. This is a place where we want you to succeed as an individual. We want to provide you with every opportunity uh, and help you get there. Um, but what we can't do uh, is abandon uh, the founding ideas and principles of this country. So Nicole Hannah-Jones is this now soon-to-be-debunked historian who says America is really founded in 1619 on slavery and about slavery, not in 1776, and the war was for slavery, she writes. Really? The war was for slavery? I wish someone would have told the Minutemen who were fighting the white British. So here is cut 40, Nicole explaining what kind of country we're in. Violence is when an agent of the state kneels on a man's neck until all of the life is leached out of his body. Destroying property which can be replaced is not violence. And to put those things, uh, to use the exact same language to describe those two things, I think really um, is not, it's not moral. Yeah, I cannot wait to explain to the restaurant owner that there was no violent breaking of their windows and uh, incineration of the contents. I mean, is that's is that a widespread mindset? It is. It's it's very widespread at the kind of elite media and academic and corporate uh, institutions. And unfortunately, the, the reality is really tragic because uh, if you look at the actual kind of uh, geographical distribution of damage and destruction and kind of bankrupted businesses, uh, you know, while our kind of elites can preach this kind of uh, property destruction is not violence message, the people who are actually suffering from devastating bankruptcies and destruction are predominantly people in poor and minority neighborhoods. So uh, it really is a case of kind of elite opinion uh, creating havoc uh, for working class people. Uh, and yet the kind of Nicole Hannah Jones of the world can can go from corporate sponsored event to corporate sponsored event uh, congratulating themselves. But somebody has to fight for the people uh, that have businesses in, in Seattle and Portland and Kenosha and Chicago uh, that have really nobody protecting them. Uh, from this kind of mob violence that we've seen over the past few months. Look, Joe Biden goes to the area. He visits, he visits Jacob Blake's family. Go ahead. But he has no interest in walking through the city to see the damage that's been done. You know, paying uh, paying the bail for rioters who went and destroyed these cities. And Kamala Harris saying that same thing at the same time. We have to defund the police because the police are the problem. It all plays into this. Uh, Christopher Rufo is our guest. He wrote a great column doing great research for the Wall Street Journal on the truth about critical race theory, which I imagine if we ever see another debate will come up again. What exactly did the president uh, go ahead and try to unwind? What did he exactly do with an executive order? So the president did something uh, really in simple terms uh, very clear. He said – uh, in federal agencies, in the military, and in federal contracting companies, uh, you can no longer scapegoat, stereotype, or demean people on the basis of race and sex. Uh, that's really it. That's all he did. He said you can no longer have training sessions uh, that target people on their racial uh, or gender identity, uh, demean and scapegoat them. And yet the media is going around saying that he's doing something terrible or doing something uh, you know, really kind of different. And I find it really amazing because all of a sudden you have federal agencies and major corporations scrambling to revise their training sessions. Uh, that, you know, by definition, we're demeaning, scapegoating and stereotyping people on the race and sex lines. And if you want to find the kind of 
systemic racism, which is everywhere in the kind of media, uh, it, it, to me, it's the height of irony uh, that these companies are, are squealing and kind of crying foul uh, simply because they can't discriminate against their own employees. Isn't it weird? I, I can't even get think about that. It's everything is is ass backwards. Yeah, it is. It is. It, it is like, and you know, the, and then even politically, it's kind of backwards, right? Yeah. So you have, you know, typically you have uh, the kind of civil rights laws, the Civil Rights Act, Title VI and Title VII, um, that were, you know, traditionally, and I think in, in good intentions used uh, to promote some workplace equality. But now what's happening is that it's flipping on its head. And conservatives have realized that this, that the, the kind of progressives are now abandoning the tenets of kind of equal protection under the law, and conservatives find themselves in a position where uh, you know we can now file suits uh, in against schools, against universities, against corporations, uh, citing Title VI and Title VII because some of these trainings are just blatantly discriminatory and create kind of a toxic work environment uh, for some employees. And just hope you have a clear-thinking judge who understands that and without a political agenda, which is another which is another uh, hill to climb. Christopher Rufo, thanks so much. If you don't mind, I'm going to call on you again because this is going to keep coming up. Anytime. Love to talk to you. You got it. Uh, Chris, thanks. Wall Street Journal. We come back. Your turn. one 866 What an hour. This is unbelievable. Uh, one 866 Expanding your knowledge base. It's Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Steve is a man of great integrity, okay? He, he worked for Biden. He was, he, was in, he was in law school, and he became an intern. You know, law school students are looking where they get an intern. That's when he interned from. I don't know about the, this question of, of whether or not he tweeted something out. I do know, and you probably pick up on it in a minute, that he was hacked. There was apparently something now that's being on television on the radio saying that he talked to Scaramucci. Who's the guy who was in the White Scaramucci. House for a while? Uh, Scaramucci. And that he's been talking to Scaramucci. He was hacked. That it didn't happen. And Anthony has is, is told me that, he, you know, he he personally thought it was really him. And his response was real that said, you know, don't respond because more stuff is coming down the line. And I'm wondering, how does he know? So and I'm friends with Anthony. I think he's a great guy. He just hates Trump more than life itself. And if someone's plotting and planning, let's just run a race. Stop with the secret plans and the stabs in the backs and the October surprises. We've had October surprises now for four years. We're immune to it. You know, you could put out nine more Stormy Daniels and fill four more Billy Bush tapes, uh, more uh, tax returns. We don't care. We understand you, what you're going to do, Mr. President, when it comes to immigration. If you don't like it, please don't vote for him. We understand what you want to do with the tax cuts and you want to do more. If you don't like it, please don't vote for him. You understand what he's going to be doing in the Middle East. If you don't like it, don't vote for him. I'm not thrilled he's pulling the, uh, the troops rapidly out of Afghanistan. If you don't like it, don't vote for him. But please stop bringing up things that have nothing to do with the country or his agenda. At least he tells you what he's going to do when he does it. You can't say the same thing from Joe Biden. And this group that was formed yesterday with the squad and uh, with other left-wingers that is making demands, demands on Joe Biden, once elected, that you better do. Here's what they call, they call themselves the People's Charter. They call it the People's Charter. And get the name of this group, Working Families Party, People's Charter. And I'll just give you some of the bullet points. Universal free health care. That's what he's got to do. Employing, uh, employing 16 million people immediately. Make work projects with what kind of money? Tax the rich. 
Let's take it from the Pentagon. Those are my words. Canceling student debt. I'm all for tackling debt. I don't know how we uh, absorb all of it. $15 minimum wage. Good luck with that in dry cleaners, in deliveries. Uh, you delivering food, you're getting $15 an hour. I guess what? We're not delivering food anymore. $15 an hour for busboys and waiters, knowing that they're tipped income. Bartenders, guess what? Even more business strain. Affordable housing for all. Uh, they are demanding that from Joe Biden. We've always said electing Joe Biden was a doorway, not a destination, said the Working Families Group. The People's Charter is that dis- destination, a nation that cares for all of us no matter what we look like, where we come from, and how much money is in our pockets. Because it doesn't matter, because you're getting money anyway. You're getting out. If the people with money are giving it to other people, that's called China. No thanks. Marie is in Green Bay. Hey, Marie. Hello. Thank you for taking my call. No problem. Uh, This is basically an open plea to our president. Um, I support you. I'm a Republican, always voted Republican. I'm a mother. I'm in my 50s. I have three sons. And I have an aunt who is a Catholic nun. And sometimes I really have a hard time defending him, even to my aunt, who is a nun, um, who wants to vote Democrat because she is so upset with how he speaks and how he presents himself. I know it's his ego. He has a big ego. And that's what's made him Donald Trump and has served him well when it comes to dealing with other leaders of other countries. But sometimes you simply have to scale that back and be dignified and, and act with humility when you're speaking to the American people. Because when I've heard him speak with you on your show or um, Sean Hannity, he comes across so well. But a lot of people don't listen Marie, to Marie, well, I, I know you understand this, but this is how you explain it. Most of the time when he says things that we find uh, unsavory, it's when he's being attacked. He will fight everybody, whether it's Rosie O'Donnell or whether it's the mayor of London. And he, when he gets attacked, he's coming back at you. When he feels disrespect, he's going to go back at you. And guess what's happened? He has not stopped being attacked for four years, and he will not quit. He could get the virus down for six hours, back tweeting and fighting again. If you just give, not you, but if America would just give him a shot, if Democrats just back off and understand that he's going to be for four more years, you'll see a different guy. With moments, but mostly a different guy. Because the people that like him are the powerless, not the powerful. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.